Uh, yeah, good evening. Uh, yeah, you can leave your Bibles open there. That's where we'll be uh, looking at uh, this evening. Uh, but firstly, if you haven't met me, my name is Luke. Uh, some of you I do know. We were here uh, a couple of years ago, um, part of the congregation here. And so it's just a delight to be back here and join you once again. Uh, but as we get into God's Word, uh, let's pray. Uh, bow with me. Uh, gracious Father, we give thanks for your goodness. Uh, we thank you that you're a God who gives and is gracious to us. Uh, help us now as we come to your word to understand how you would have us uh, live as your people under your good rule and ways. Lord, we ask that you give us humble hearts uh, to receive your word. And Lord Jesus, help those uh, this evening who may not have confidence uh, to trust you and your ways, uh, just to know that you are by far better than anything else on offer uh, and that you deserve, Lord, to be at the centre of our lives. And may the spirit of all holiness be at work in us now as uh, we go from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, what are you devoted to? Uh, in my teens, um, I myself was uh, devoted to my sport at the time, which was called uh, camp drafting. Uh, now, I'd understand if uh, many of you probably haven't heard of that sport, camp drafting, but uh, basically it's uh, you ride a horse and uh, you chase a cow. Uh, and uh, you, you could tell that I was uh, devoted to it. I know it's a bit strange, but uh, it was what I uh, was invested in. I was always uh, looking to update and get the better uh, and latest equipment uh, and was what I I served, uh, always eager to get to the the next event. Uh, This is what I was uh, divided to then and and still today I can have things that I'm divided to, whether it's uh, my veggie patch in the backyard uh, or even uh, just uh, my study. Uh, And I'm sure there's uh, different things uh, for different people that we might find ourselves divided to. Uh, And while these things might be good uh, in and of themselves, this passage today is really points the Christian towards single-minded devotion of God. Uh, That above all things, the Christian should be devoted to God and his kingdom. Uh, And we're showed here in this passage, I believe, uh, some of the most practical ways. So we're told firstly, Uh, that the Christian is to store their riches in God's kingdom alone. Uh, Look from verse 19. It says, Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Oh, well, to store up has this idea of, of hoarding it away, uh, accumulating it, or, or stockpiling it. Uh, and that earthly treasure, well, it could involve money, wealth, uh, but even more generally, it, it could be any material value uh, that we, we, we trust in or value here on earth. But Jesus says here in verse 19, uh, do not store up treasure on earth. Uh, And he makes clear why. He says it all has a use-by date. Look with me, moth and vermin only come in and destroy, or or thieves break in and steal. Earthly treasure are such an unsettling investment, aren't they? Because really, at the end of the day, it can be just all gone within a click. A recent study in the US showed that those with a a net worth 
of $1 million. Now, in my mind, I think you'd be relatively comfortable, right? Uh, but the, the, the study showed that they're still uh, wanting to strive, compelled to strive for more. Why? Uh, well, the study found that they're, they're spurred on by an ever-present fear of losing it all. Uh, the rust, the moth, the vermin, the thief. But here Jesus points to a better place to invest, that the investment for the Christian is in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, verse 20, Have a look, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, notice here, this is Jesus' uh, sermon, part of Jesus' sermon on the mount where he goes up and he speaks to his disciples and there's a great crowd there. And he says here, he just doesn't leave them with a negative command, don't do this. But here we see it's followed by this positive command, or the way I like to see it is, is a better way, the smarter, uh, the wiser way. Because his smarter way is to encourage us to look beyond the now and to look at the everlasting, storing our treasures in heaven. Now, we might wonder, what does it look like to store riches or, or treasure in heaven? Well, I think what it looks like is taking uh, earthly things and giving them a heavenly purpose. That is, putting our money uh, and our time towards things such as uh, gospel ministry uh, and furthermore, just caring and loving others. It might look like, and we've seen it, supporting uh, missionaries overseas, a part of this church, uh, what it's a part of. Uh, knowing that your giving here each Sunday isn't primarily for the maintenance of this building, but hopefully it's seen to go towards something bigger, something greater. And that's the, seeing the good news of Jesus, the life-saving news being proclaimed here in Abbotsford and furthermore the, the inner west. Uh, storing up your riches in heaven might like, look like giving your time, which we all know is money, uh, to love those here at church by serving them, uh, lending a hand when needed, or, or serving in whatever way you're able. I, I know someone personally who, uh, as soon as he became a Christian, he was uh, so taken by God's love that shone through the gospel. Straight away he was like, well, how can I get on board? How can I be a part of God's work here? And so he asked uh, some, some people, some elders, some uh, people in ministry, part of, how, how can I just be involved? And see, he thought, well, this, is, this is storing uh, up for, for something better, something greater now that he lived for. So have you asked your, uh, those around you this question? Maybe it's a Bible study leader or, or Daryl or someone part of the ministry team. Hey, how can I serve God's kingdom best here? Uh, now, I know that many of you are faithful people here and possibly serving in a number of ways. And so let me encourage you, if that's you, keep going. Keep storing your treasure in God's kingdom. And while storing this uh, up this riches in heaven, 
Well, it's not the sort of investment, is it, that you'd find in the Business Insider or that your local financial planner or bank manager would advise you. Uh, let me remind you that this is a better way. See, it's a storing up that doesn't have uh, a use-by date. But see, it's an investment that lasts for eternity. It's secure. Uh, no fear in seeing it gone next week. But just to clarify here, we might question, is Jesus saying that money is all bad in this teaching? Well, no, he's not saying that money in and of itself is. But if we treasure it, and if we think that that's where our security is found, well, it's going to be a bad thing. What Jesus does here is he gives money a new purpose. So it can be transformed from a dead investment to a a living investment. Uh, But not only is it given a new purpose, but but a part of it is that it it shows where our allegiance is. So Jesus says, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what, what you put your treasure towards shows where your heart is. If if it's in earthly things, it becomes clear that that's where your heart's desire is. If it's in heavenly things, loving Jesus uh, by loving others and and making him known, it it then shows, well, that's where your heart's desire is. And so today, I wonder, have you thought lately where your investment is? Where are you storing up your treasure? Well, as children of God who have been saved by his grace through Jesus' death, we see here that we're, we're called to devote ourselves to God alone by storing up our treasure in his kingdom. Uh, but the devoted life to God doesn't just look like storing our treasure in God's kingdom alone, but it also involves having our sight on, God's, on God alone. Uh, have a look from verse 22. Uh, Jesus says that the eye is the lamp of the body. Uh, If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Uh, Well, this little saying of Jesus sounds somewhat tricky, uh, doesn't it? Because what does Jesus mean when he says, verse 22, that the the eye is the lamp of the body? What he's getting at here is is the eye. What what we have our sights on, well, it directs our path, doesn't it? It directs the path of of our whole body and our whole life. Uh, Have you ever noticed uh, those huge old ships? Uh, They're only directed, actually, by a little rudder at the back. Just as that rudder leads the way in directing uh, the ship on the right course, so it is with the eye. If our sight is fixed on God, it has the effect of directing our whole body, our whole life, our, our will, and what we do. This is what he's speaking here about when he says that the healthy eye, verse 22, that that person is, is single-minded, fully devoted to God. Yet again, in contrast to the healthy eye, which has its sight on God alone, there also could be the, the unhealthy eye, 
which doesn't have its sight on God alone. Because we see that it's not full of light, but darkness. And though it has an eye, its path is blurred, darkened, not devoted to God. It, it's like a ship that doesn't have a rudder. And so it ends up shipwrecked. But it's evident, isn't it, uh, when you see just that someone who has their eyes fixed on Jesus. You see that it directs all that they do, uh, the way that they speak, the way that they spend their time, the way that they spend their money. Uh, it reminds me of a long-standing farmer back on the northern rivers up in Kyogle, actually. Uh, before I became a Christian, you could just tell that there was something different about him. He naturally would uh, speak about Jesus as though he was genuine in his life. And he was generous with his time and money. Uh, I can remember he'd give it up to chat with guys like me and, and start reading the Bible with. And one thing that amazed me when I started spending time uh, with this guy, Alf, uh, was that he told me that he spent regularly time with the Lord, uh, praying to him and reading his word. And at the time, I thought, wow, how does he find the time for that? He's a great farmer, and, and yet he would spend this large amount of time uh, in the mornings with, with Jesus. Yet while it took his time, what this allowed for him, he said, was it would keep his sights on God. He was reorientated to be reminded of God's grace, that he belonged to God a loving father, that his life was now directed on a path that had a purpose to, to do God's will where, wherever it might turn up. It was clear that this devotion to set his sight on God in this way, it affected his entire life. You can tell that there was something different, something good about him. And so for us, if our sights are to be fixed on Jesus, what a way to do this, uh, to spend time in his word and, and the privilege to come it is to, to speak with him. But not only is the devoted Christian life to store our treasure in God's kingdom alone uh, and to have our sights on God alone, but it's also to serve God alone. And this is what we see from verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, you might say uh, that possibly that you serve nothing, that you're the master of your own life. Yet I think while we might want to recognise it, at the end of the day, we all serve something. We're all the, the servants of the things that we love, uh, the things that, that we dream about, the things that we trust in. And I know for myself that as I finish up Bible college in a couple more months and go back to work again in the workforce, selling cows, that there's going to be a great temptation to serve work above God. I just know it. We're all tempted. Uh, to, to serve something. Something is our master or it just vies for that position. But Jesus says here, why you can't serve two masters? Verse 24, look, either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
So it's impossible for the Christian to think that they can juggle two balls. God and something else. You'll, you'll have to love one more and be devoted to it. And so Jesus finishes up saying, you cannot serve both God and money. While money might be tempting, I know, it can give security, can't it? Uh, and it can be a means uh, to get what we, we want and what we need. Yet if we serve it, if we give it everything we've got, it, we forget that it will demand our life. If we let it, we'll even neglect those around us that we should love. And so what sort of master is that? It's, it's not a, clearly not a very good one, is it? It promises the world, but really, what good is it when we're in the grave? What good is it to have, as my mum used to say, the biggest tombstone in the graveyard? Becomes a slave driver to the grave without any hope. Yet, brothers and sisters, when we serve Christ, when when Christ is our master, we see that we have a by far better master. And and the reason why is the Bible tells us that, that Jesus first served us. Philippians 2, 6 to 8 speaks of Jesus like this. Uh, Let me read it to you. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, what did he do? He made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant, see he, he was the servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. See, isn't this the sort of master that you'd rather be devoted to? One who has so generously served us first. How? By giving up his life for us. When we couldn't stand before a holy God, he dies in our place, forgiving our sins so that we might have eternal life with him. I understand it's not easy, though. Uh, There might be many things we might be tempted to be devoted to as Christians. Perhaps work or or money, our hobbies, uh, even our families. And it's not that these things, other things, uh, that we could be devoted to are, are all bad. But it's important that no matter what, God is at the center. Your devotion to him means that he influences the rest of your life and not the other way around. Well, a few months back, I went to my cousin's wedding. Uh, It was a great wedding. It was a beautiful location. It was sort of uh, west of the Gold Coast, uh, beautiful in the hinterland there. Uh, And the bride and the groom, they both scrubbed up well. But the greatest thing about that wedding uh, was actually uh, said at the speeches. Uh, I know that's normally the most time everyone clicks off, but I think it was the most insightful. See, from at least uh, three people, it was a, it was a Christian wedding, uh, and their message for the newlyweds was along these lines. Uh, they said to them, your love for God is to be in the centre of your marriage and not your love for one another. You might think, come on, Luke, really? That's, uh, that's just strange, isn't it? It sounds a bit really bizarre. But they weren't saying that they weren't to, to love one another. But in fact, what they were saying is that they will love 
the other best when God is at the centre. If it's the other way around, you're placing too much weight on the other and, and they're not able to bear it. And when the honeymoon period is over and it's hard to get off the lounge and, and to serve the other, it'll be their love for God when the other is hard to love that'll make them get up and do the dirty dishes. So the diversion to God first uh, and not the other will make for the best marriage. Likewise, in whatever we do, if, if we're devoted to God first, well, that'll make us the better husbands or wives or partners, won't it? Better dads and mums to our children, better bosses or employees. And my friends, I urge you, God is the better one to be devoted to above all. Because again, at the cross, God sent his only son, Jesus, who went willing to be devoted to you. He served you freely by his life. And the Bible teaches us that he now lets us share in the riches one day of his inheritance. What a God to be devoted to. Well, let's pray. Let's, let's ask God particularly how we might be single-minded, how we might be devoted to him. Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit you might help us to spot things in our life that we might find ourselves devoted to. And Lord, Father, while it's, it's hard, uh, we know that our life is now hid in Christ. And so we ask, Lord, how can we best honour you with things such as, as money, money that you have provided us with? Lord, not that we do this to get favour with you. We know that we are yours by grace. Not that we do this so that, that people might think well of us but because we know that, that you call us to a better life, a better way. And Lord, so we come seeking because we are grateful for all that you have done for us. And so we wish to serve you with all that you have given us. And so, Father, when it comes to our finances, help us, Father, to know what this might look like, particularly, Lord, how we might be devoted to you with our finance, how, how much and how often and who it is, if it's church, a mission group, or just someone we know who is really struggling. Give us generous, generous hearts, we ask, that we might be devoted to you with, with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.